Hi, this is the Interior Collective, a podcast for the business of beautiful living, presented by IDCO Studio, and I'm Anastasia Casey. Today's episode of the Interior Collective welcomes Lauren Lease as our guest and current and beloved IDCO client. We're working with Lauren Lease on three different website projects as well as a few client systems and processes right now. The Lauren Lease brand has extended to Interior Design Studio, Lauren Lease Lifestyle Blog, and The Property Collective, in addition to countless books, TV appearances, and product collaborations. Lauren Lease's entire brand evokes a feeling of home across all channels. Her brand feels like those late, slow hours of summer afternoons that seem to linger a little longer than the day before. It feels like the neighbor you grew up next to. As her brands expand, as do her offerings, we're talking today about how to evolve into a lifestyle brand as an interior designer. Lauren and her husband, David, run their interior design firm in Great Falls, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. They've made their own home as magical and as functional as possible with a relaxed attitude towards perfection. Living an indoor-outdoor barefoot lifestyle with five children, Lauren embraces when things tell a story, because that's what real life is, and that's what is beautiful. Hello, Lauren, and welcome to the Interior Collective. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so honored to have you. You poor thing. You're fighting a cold. You're listing your house (laughs) this weekend. I cannot believe you squeezed us in. We are all so grateful to have you. I have already given listeners the background, not that you need any introduction, um, but I know we really want to focus on creating a lifestyle brand as an interior designer. It definitely is a space where it kind of feels like that could be the next step for many interior designers. We have lots of interests. There's lots of places where lifestyle and home obviously bleed together and you've done such a beautiful job establishing that and you just live that so fully and so openly and I just want to get all of the nitty-gritty details about it so if you could start where did the Lauren Lease really begin (laughs) that's so funny um I started out I guess when I graduated from college I was doing my first apartment And I realized that decorating my apartment was way more fun than my job in communication. (laughs) So it's like, I'm having so much more fun, like thrifting and painting and doing all of that than I was at my real job. So I took a distance learning program and then started staging houses and then started turning those clients into design clients and then just kind of kept going from there. Amazing. So you, you majored in communications. And that probably explains a lot of what we're going to touch on a little bit later, because you do such a good job with sharing your life and sharing behind the scenes. So we'll get into that in a bit. But I want to really kick things off with noting that you are the most organized, easygoing, yet detail-oriented client we have ever had at IDCO. You've been such an immense pleasure to work with, and you've facilitated the smoothest projects in IDCO history. How, how do you have so many irons in the fire while still always being so chill and relaxed? <laughs> you know, I'm, I honestly, like, like makes me teary you saying that because I don't see myself that way. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate um, you saying that, but I think somewhere, I don't know, somewhere along the way in the beginning, I heard someone say something like, there's no such thing as a design emergency. And I think that's just kind of applicable to like so much of life. Like really, we have so much to be grateful for. 
thing we can choose to freak out about things or we can choose to be okay and be thankful for the things that are going well. And I feel like it's just kind of a choice. Um, when I was 23, when Dave and I were getting married and I had just seen my cousins go through these sort of bridezilla wedding planning situations and they were the sweetest humans, but they like acted crazy and they were upset about things. I was like, and I was just super conscious at that moment. I was like, I do not want to do that to the people I love. And so I like kind of really coached myself to like not worry about anything as it came. And over like the five months we were planning our wedding, it sort of started to become habit. And so we kind of were like, well, this is going to be like a microcosm for how we like treat our life. We're like, it's about us getting married. Who cares about like little, you know, Jordan almonds or whatever. So it, we just kind of, I've tried to very consciously keep like my level of like happiness or contentment as an important factor when, when working and doing things and kind of trying to keep work in perspective. I love that. That's such an important note that there is no such thing as a design emergency. I know that people listening will probably have a, a gut reaction and say, that is not true. I have had design emergencies. And there certainly could be moments when something goes horribly wrong. Um, but unless the house is caught fire, unless it's flooded, most things can be tended to in a few hours or a few days. So thank you for that very important <laughs> reminder. We are not doing brain surgery and we don't need to live our lives with that level of stress. So let's rewind a little bit. You currently have three beautiful books and you're working on your fourth. Am I right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on a fourth and a fifth. The fourth one is a design book, but the fifth one is a kid's book. So I'm working on those right now and um, just kind of digging in. We're at the photo shoot stage of the fourth design book. That is so fun. I can't wait to see the kid's book as well. What significance do you feel like your books have had to your brand as a whole? Um, for me personally, they've been major. They are these sort of experiments where I writing helps me process and think and come to conclusions and develop my style and philosophy of living. So each book just kind of helps me grow and solidify my thoughts. So I think it's, it's really great to sort of verbalize things. I'm very much a list writer and a writer in general. So once you sort of have a really strong handle on what it is you want to do and how you're trying to help and what you're trying to achieve, it becomes easier to do everything whether that's designing someone's house because you have a stronger handle on what it is you're about or whether it's you know publishing an Instagram post. It just kind of, once you kind of figure things out, which the books have helped me do, it just really helps in all forms of communication. I feel like your books have really established your visual aesthetic and your visual point of view so, so, so much. I know for many designers, a, a beautiful coffee table book is like such a bucket list checkmark type item. How do you feel that the books have really contributed to the trajectory of your career? You know, I think they've been really helpful. I think it helps establish you maybe as um, maybe an expert in terms of like, if you're going for furniture lines or collections and product collections, that kind of thing, you begin to, when you share your expertise, you begin to be looked at as an expert. Um, and it kind of helps you become one. So I think it's been good for self-confidence and, in going after things. Um, and I think just 
you know, we love what we do. We create these interiors and it's so fun and you love doing it for your client, but then it's so fun because you can show what you did and sort of help other people and connect with other people and readers and kind of let that project live on a little bit more, which is really fun. Yeah, that's such a good point. I've never considered the fact that it just helps establish your expertise as you expand into other lifestyle elements, such as collaborations and um, collections. That is such a good point. I do wonder, though, how freaking hard is it to write a book? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have to love to write. I mean, I would say that like it if you're writing your own book, you have to enjoy the writing process because it is intense. Um, I mean, I usually take like about a month off or three weeks off and just like hit it every day from the moment I wake up to like going to bed and just really go at it. So you have to enjoy the writing process Um, or you have to hire a ghostwriter, which is great too. People do that as well. Um, It just costs money. Uh, But it is, it's, I think it's very much like designing a house or producing something and that you're, you have this vision for this thing that you want to be, and you really don't stop until it's perfect for you and right for you, knowing that it's not going to be for everyone. Um, but you, you got, you have to be a little bit vulnerable and, you know, kind of soul search a little bit and dive deep to do it. What do you feel like your books are able to convey that you can't in other platforms like social media or your website or the blog? You know, I think the books are, they're like slower and more intimate. You know, people are often like curled up on a couch with a book. Or, you know, I love seeing pictures that people post when they have like my book and they're sitting on a porch swing or like a glass of wine and they're like, the kids are gone. Like I'm reading her book. So it's like, you're at, you're reading it at a different time when you're on your phone. I think lots of times it's borrowed time. Um, same with on the computer, but with a book, you've sort of made a conscious decision to go and kind of treat yourself. So I think people's mindset is a little bit different. So I think you can speak a little bit more slowly and tell a bit more of a story because you have more of someone's attention and time. Um, it's, it, yeah, you can go deeper, I think. So to the designers who are listening, who dream of penning their own book in the future, where do you start? This feels like such an abstract concept. Like I'd love to have a book. So if you could break it down into a few actionable steps where we can all go find book agents or get book deals, like what does that look like? So I'll kind of share my process with you. And I think, I think this seems to be how it works, but I'm sure there are other ways, but um, how it worked with worked with me was um, I had writ- was writing a blog for years and a book agent approached me about writing a book. And so I wasn't ready at the time. I think we ended up writing the book maybe two or three years later. I came back to her. I was like, I was like, I don't have enough pretty projects. I'm just getting started. You don't want to see these jobs <laughs> on, on glossy paper. Um, but I, for me, it was, and I, I think for a lot of people, it's that an agent, agents start approaching you. And, um, I don't know how you go about getting an agent, but I would guess that there are ways to find them or I don't know if there's listings, but I think there's ways to ask people, you know, Um, but agents are always looking and they are looking on Instagram primarily now and it was blogs um, and they're looking in the shelter publications. So putting yourself out there to get noticed is huge. And Um, developing your voice, your style, you know, that aesthetic through the images that you're putting out there. When I, when an agent sees that you have a strong point of view, they're interested. 
And I think it comes down to also really finding out who you are, honing in on that and learning about yourself because no one wants to see the same book that's already been written. So it's like, what's differentiating you from everybody else? Like you've got to do you and embrace what you're about and really communicate that and put it out there. I think, think they'll find you and, or there's probably a way to find them. Um, and then from there, what's really cool is a good agent will um, work with you and say, this is how you do a book proposal. Here's the formatting. So you're there. She was like, come up with a concept. So I'm like, okay. And I went back like a few weeks later, here's my concept. Do you like it? That was for Habitat, the field guide to decorating. And she was like, yeah, this is great. And then she shopped it to other, um, to publishing houses. So then she had, she made like an auction. I don't know if they all do it this way, but my agent did it this way where she basically had an auction and then the, all the five publishing houses could just bid on the book and you pick from the offers and you go with the one that you want. Um, I, Abrams is my publisher and I just adore them. And the day before I was like praying, I was like, I hope the right thing happens. I went to my bookshelves and pulled down all my favorite books, like some of them vintage books from the seventies and stacked them. And my, my favorite book stack was all Abrams. And so it was like this huge stack. And then like, I had a couple from the other publishers. I was like, Oh my gosh, I like, I pray that it's Abrams. And so it was, and so it just kind of worked out, but I can really say from my and I have a lot of designer books and um, I definitely feel like your books being published by Abrams, they just have a different tactile quality that really bring it to the next level that again is just so reminiscent of your brand and how grounded everything is and how things are so tactile. So I think you definitely found the right publisher. You mentioned one thing saying that the agent had come to you just so just to clarify hey you did not write a book before you got an agent no and i didn't write the book until i got the book deal because it takes so much time so it's just a proposal and for that proposal you basically are going to want to write a table of contents title and then um introduction and a sample chapter is usually what's required for each proposal and then you just hammer it out and fill it out from there when you get the book deal so you also mentioned that when you were first approached, you were like, my projects are not book ready. Like, this is not where I'm at. I know when we're pitching things to get published in like magazines and whatnot, we're told we have to like withhold our photos of projects. Do you have any insight to if that was true with the book as well? Were you not allowed to share projects? Did you have to start saving up projects over years? Yes. Um, my contracts have an 80-20 rule. So 80%, I guess, cannot be, or 80% cannot have been previously published. Now it gets really gray with Instagram. And I, I'm really on the fence myself about this because I'm always hiding my best work because it's for books. And so it's really hard. And then I see the people that like share everything and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like they're putting their newest stuff out there at install. And I'm like, why am I sitting here following the rules? <laughs> As a reader of a book, I also know the feeling of paying 35 or $40 for a book and opening it up and being like, I've seen all this on Instagram before. It's, you know, it's just, it's really hard. I don't blame anyone who does that because trust me, I leak a bunch of pictures. When I get right before publication, I start like, you know, I'm like leaking them out. <laughs> Here's the, <laughs> the images, but I, it's just really hard. I think there's probably a balance. Um, I don't think some publishers care as much as other publishers. 
it is to protect you that they, because you're going to get reviews on Amazon saying, you know, even though I know my book was 80-20, I still would get a review on Amazon. Well, we've seen all these projects before and you're going to get a one-star review. And that one-star review will keep you from selling as many books. So this is kind of personal and you can certainly not answer, but <laughs> totally. what, what made you decide? I know as designers who are getting started, like their current work is so so influential on the kind of work they're going to book next. And if they're going to book next, um, another project, a dream project, what made you decide that it was worth withholding your best and brightest projects, um, to save it for a book versus potentially having those to share and propelling to the next great dream project? That's such a good question. I, I haven't really thought of it before, but you putting it that way, um, I think writing books is as important to me as my design business. I think it's, it's not a, I guess it's not a tiered thing. They're probably on equal footing. So I almost look at those readers as clients in a way. And so I want to do them justice and I don't know if it'll change, but I'm also very happy with the clients I have, with the clients coming our way. I'm sure if I wasn't, I'd be like, get those get those pictures on the website right now. Um, so it's, I'm, I'm in a happy place with what's coming in our door, but yeah, I think it's because the book is not, it's not secondary to the, the business. Writing is just as important. I think that's such an important, um, distinguishment and something for those listening to consider when you are really thinking about a book deal, is it going to be more, important for you and your business to be able to use those projects right away? Or do you know that there's a few projects and it's probably more than a few, you probably need quite a few projects for a book and to, and you can set those aside before deciding to move forward. So just a little tidbit that I wanted to um, get some insight in. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, thank you for explaining the mystery, the magical mystery of book deals. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's way more facets to the brand. So in addition to your authored complete bookshelf, you also have a growing e-commerce business. In our experience, e-commerce is very challenging to maintain your brand integrity and the emotion of your spaces. How are you able to bring your signature over to the shop without watering down the brand? Gosh, I think that that's a challenge because the things that um, often sell the best are the least expensive items. So you're always looking for, you know, those deals that people will buy. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you want to sell your furniture and the, like the things I've designed, which are like furniture and tile cabinets, um, all those kind of more big ticket items. Uh, I think when you mix those things with the sort of less expensive, but still kind of awesome things that you just put around the house, um, you get a good mix. I think, yeah, it was kind of a, we started ours during COVID because most of our design jobs just came to like a total halt. We're like, okay, we've got to make money somehow. So we just like, just started it up and um, it's always evolving kind of. Yeah. What, uh, one thing I think it's interesting, you do sell, um, fashion pieces. You sell clothing that is so well curated and so cute. I was looking through it with the team yesterday and I was like, dang, those pants are adorable for $35. What made you decide to bring in that aspect of the lifestyle brand? 
You know, I think, and again, it, like when we started this, it was during COVID. And I remember just being like, I really want comfortable clothes, but I don't want to wear sweats every day, <laughs> which is me a lot of days. I want to wear comfortable clothes, but don't wear sweats. Um, and I, I guess for me, our brand is sort of a whole lifestyle and it's everything from food to clothes, to music, to gardening. And so it's just sort of one aspect of what interests me um, and what I like to think about and share. Um, and, and then also I was getting a lot of, you know, you'll get DMs like, what are you wearing? Where'd you buy that? And you're kind of like, well, why am I sending all of this to like, you know, free people, you know, when I could design something and sell it. So some of our pieces are resold. Some of them are designed and have our label on them. So it's been fun. And I would say our clothes are almost, probably our biggest sellers, <laughs> which the mom jeans. <laughs> That is amazing. We will link those mom jeans and everything else in the show notes. But then let's shift back to furniture because logistics of e-commerce freak me out. And as a web designer and developer, that often comes up when people are like, well, how am I going to handle shipping? And I'm like, that's not for me to figure out. So how do you ship to Sally Sue in Idaho who ordered three sofas from you? And how has your team prepared to scale that? So we have relationships with shippers. And so my I have a I have two different furniture lines and both of those furniture companies will work with our shippers to get furniture delivered directly, white glove into somebody's house. For the smaller items, we have a warehouse and somebody working to pack everything up and send it out. Got it. So you have it figured out. And so your lines, which you've designed and are being built specifically for you, they will work with the shipping companies that you've established relationships with, and they'll get it to anybody in the continental United States. Absolutely. Because our furniture is sold on not just my website. It's like sold on like when Kings Lane, Wayfair, like it's sold all over the internet and at boutiques all over the country. So they have a massive, like if we have to ship somewhere, we're like, how do we get to here? They'll tell us right away where it needs to go to. So we have a great, like our, our teams are awesome. That sounds amazing. Cause it's been a major pain point for so many of our clients. Now, Talking product lines, you have some amazing collaborations. And one of my favorites is your cabinetry line with unique kitchens and baths. How do you choose what projects or products make for a good collaboration? Um, you know, for me, it's I have my eyes on in general, like anything that goes in the house. I kind of, or I guess on your body even. Um, I think it's just like what is sort of a staple in my life and in my clients, you know, projects, I want to be able to design and get my hands into and, and really make um, tailored. So it's kind of like going after like kitchen cabinets is obviously a huge one because for so many years, I would work with our contractors, cabinet people, which would potentially be different depending on where in the country you're working. And I would always be like, I need this hand finish. And I mean, I've I've literally put like coffee and tea on things and hand finished wood before. And it would be such a time suck just trying to communicate what you wanted. So when UKB approached me, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh. So it took us months to develop those finishes that I was after. But once we have them now, I can just easily spec them for a project. And people who don't hire us can get that look too, which is really fun. 
So in that instance, UKB reached out to you, but for things like your tile line, for your hardwood floors, did you approach partners that you already loved working with or how do, how does one like kind of manifest a collaboration like that? So we were at all of our partners, and this is a really interesting thing. All of our partners that we have approached us. Anytime I've ever approached someone, it has been a big fat door slammed in my face, truly. So it, it is one of those really crazy things where it, it's goals that I write down, manifesting or whatever you want to call it, but I literally will write down like what's on my list to go after. And those things just kind of start coming into your door. And, um, but we, we have not approached any of the ones that we have partnerships with. And I, I guess I find that people are, they seem better to work with and will do more for you when they feel like they found you versus you asking them for something. Um, it's just never worked out the other way for me. I Interesting. Don't <laughs> I don't know if I reek of desperation or what. <laughs> but Well, if you're listening and want to approach her about a line, contact details are in the show notes. Um, what are some of the questions or like, I personally get nervous and being someone who really likes to be in control, I get nervous about like putting my name aligned with another brand like that. How, what are questions you ask or how do you ensure that like the Lauren Lee's brand is executed to the quality that you would have done it if you were doing it yourself? Yeah. I mean, we got very lucky with our teams. In some cases, we had already worked with people then before and knew of the quality. Um, in every case, we sat on samples, touched, you know, actual, you know, kitchens with, with these doors in them, um, used the hardwood floor, uh, tile had been working with our Contessa for years. So it, they were companies also, that's actually interesting now that I think about it. Um, most of the time they were companies that I had had established relationships with and knew their product, not all of them. Um, but always have to see and touch it. And, and it's about the people because it could be the most beautiful project, but if you don't feel right with those people, it's going to be such a pain for you. Like we love our partners. What elements of your brand are you unwilling to compromise? I mean, like the easy answer would be quality. Um, but you, I think for me, it's how things look, feel, and function. You don't just want something that's pretty that like when you actually touch it feels plasticky. Um, that was one of the really the most important things for the kitchen cabinets with me. I had worked with manufacturers before who could get the color finish I wanted, but it was also the touch. Um, so how things feel uh, is really important to me. And then also con consistent quality, because there are some companies you work with that can deliver a little bit and then they can't keep up that quality level um, for sure. And then I think the people that I work with, it's really important to me that they trust my vision and that I'm not there. I've done partnerships before where um, you're just kind of asked to stamp things off that someone else designed. And I, that's so not what we're, we will do. Um, so we, we just always make sure that we're going to have a really high level of control of the final outcome of how the piece is designed. 
Here at IDECO, we have seven years experience working directly alongside award-winning interior designers from around the world. Our mission to provide creative business solutions for interior designers in beautiful ways is what we absolutely obsess over. From pre-written client email templates with dozens of five-star reviews to fully copywritten client process documents used by hundreds of designers worldwide, we have a track record for making things easy. As a listener of the Interior Collective, we are proud to give you an exclusive discount code to our two best-selling products, client email templates and client process bundles. Use code PODCAST20 to save 20% off either at idco.studio. I've linked it in today's show notes for easy reference. Again, that's PODCAST20 at idco.studio. Let's talk video content. You have your HGTV show where the world first fell in love with you, but you're taking it a step further on Instagram and YouTube with your darling homework series. We love your reels and the personality they bring to your lifestyle brand. How do you make things feel so authentic while also remaining polished and professional? It's a very gray area and you just seem to make it work. Well, thank you for calling me polished because I don't, I do not feel like I am, but I think it's just kind of about doing the thing that you're sharing in the moment and getting it right then. Like, like we'll be cooking and it's like your hair may be a mess or whatever, but it's like, just grab it at that moment and make it so it's, it feels real. Um, and you're just, I guess, just try to, you know, try to be myself and just put that out there and share what I'm actually excited about in the moment. Camera time is a really hard thing for a lot of people. What tips do you have for those who feel camera shy? I think that it doesn't necessarily always need to be focused on you. Like some of my favorite reels are the reels that I'm filming that are from my perspective. Um, And then maybe you can get like a shot of you from like the side. Like it's kind of fun to show the person in the place so you feel like you're experiencing what they're experiencing, but it doesn't always have to be you talking. Um, Most of my reels are just to music. I'm not even talking and I'm just going about something I'm completely in the moment doing. And so you're comfortable when you're in the moment. And so if someone can shoot you while you're actually enjoying yourself, that's great. But also shooting you being the the camera, I think is great. I think that's such an excellent point that people feel like, Doing reels means that you have to be speaking to the camera or looking directly at the camera, but really you could be doing walkthroughs, site visits while you're talking on camera. But I love the way you put it, putting it from your point of view. That's such an eloquent way to express what that feels like to walk through the home. And I think that's definitely a great place to get your feet wet if you're nervous about stepping into video. Yeah. And I struggle too, like, I mean, I don't know, like I'll scroll on Instagram in the morning and you know how video heavy it is now. Sometimes I just want pictures, right? I struggle. I'm suddenly video by video of the phone up in people's faces, like all excited. And lots of the times I'm, it's in the morning. I'm like, whoa, slow down. Even my own, you know, I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Or like talk so much. So I do think sometimes less is more uh, with that. Um, another thing to help people kind of get over that posting paralysis when it comes to video is the shorter the video, actually, the better it performs. That's something I struggle with a lot at IDCO because our video producer always wants to make beautiful 
you know, 15 minute documentaries on things. And we're really like, we need it to be way less than 15 seconds. So if you're feeling nervous or apprehensive because you're like, oh, what could I really cover in a one minute video? I really encourage you that like five seconds is great. Um, And it can really just be a blissful moment in your day that you're capturing. Yeah, I think that's for me when I think about a reel, I'm like, I'm putting a reel out in order to evoke an emotion in somebody and capture maybe the emotion I had. And you can do that so quickly. How has video contributed to the expansion of your brand? I think that, you know, we're sort of spokespeople for our brand, your brands, what your business does. But, you know, when your name's on the door, it's also about you. So I think it takes it from like 2D or whatever to, you know, really experiencing what it's like, what I'm like as a, a person, or I guess as my my social media person <laughs> side of my persona. Uh, but I do think it allows people to see a different side of you. And for clients, that kind of thing, I think they can instantly either watch a video and be like, I do not want to hire her, or I'd really love to work with her. So it helps that way too. Do you have any ideas for someone who ne- doesn't necessarily want to be the face of their brand and, you know, they have a team and maybe their goal is they plan to sell the firm or retire in the future and it keeps going. How does someone like that potentially incorporate these personal elements that you're, that you've talked about to expand their lifestyle brand without it necessarily being Lauren Lisa's face? Yeah, I think that's, again, that comes to expressing that point of view, even if you're not showing your face or talking, um, filming in a way that shows what that person is thinking and feeling. And that's what I'm sure, you know, what we're mostly doing when we design a home, we're expressing our client's point of view. So delve into what, you know, what's my point of view and what do I want to come across and make sure that's communicated all that you're putting out there. Here's the juice. Uh Are there any upcoming projects or collaborations in the pipeline that you're willing to share with us? We have a a couple exciting ones. Um, I won't say who. We're working on rugs right now, and I'm really excited about that. So that's what I've kind of wanted for a while. Well, congratulations. That's so exciting. Knock on wood. I haven't signed yet, so it's coming okay. soon. But it's fine. Yeah. You're manifesting it. That's even yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I put it out there. <laughs> and of course, the two book deals. So the children's book and book number four for interiors. Yeah. And, and we're also starting this kind of cool new branch where we're doing like vacation homes. So we're buying houses that are kind of like teardowns or, you know, whatever we call lost cottages down at the beach. And then we're renovating them and then either renting them out or reselling them. And so that's been really fun. That is so fun. We have a whole episode with Blair Moore from Moore House, all oh, about she's amazing. luxury short-term rentals. And so I'll definitely link that episode in the show notes as well, because I am so fascinated with that business model. Now, for the next question, I'm going to try to get through it without crying, because it's just a very personal thing to me as we work on our family planning journey. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, I just cannot get over how polished, professional, timely, and warm you are and so easygoing to work with. I find myself thinking literally every day, how does Lauren do all of this while being a very hands-on mom to five small kids? If you could share one actionable time management tip, what would it be? Um, you make me teary saying that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think it is just maybe goals and lists 
all the time, every day. It's constantly, I have a huge Google Doc in my phone and I, I read a ton every morning. And so anytime I gain a little bit of insight, it goes into this Google Doc and it's constantly shifting long-term goals. Um, and then of course I have like my daily to-do list. It's not in the doc, but it's always keeping the long-term goals in sight written down in front of me. So I kind of eye on the prize and then the things I need to get done in a day written down in front of me and really shutting off when the work time is over, shutting off and being present with the kids and with Dave. Um, I, it's, it's not easy and I'm not always good at it. Um, but it's just really trying to set those boundaries and, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm great at it, but I'm always trying to improve it. I think one of the ways that you do it so well, um, from someone who's gotten to know you personally on like a working relationship, but then also follow you in the insights you do share with us is what you mentioned before. It's like, sometimes you'll just be making dinner and you're like, well, let's capture this. And that's technically two birds with one stone. Like your kids are really involved in it, but you're capturing that content where people can feel like they really connect with you and resonate with you or aspire to be like you. And you captured that content in the moment and you didn't make a fuss about it. It was very much like, let's just film this. Let's put it out into the world. And it's now off our plate and we can move forward. Absolutely. And we did realize early on that the staged really pretty things were not going to be for us because it really does demand time and attention from you and the kids. And it just, it's not a good thing. You want to just be like, you guys be you. And, and for me too, I love having, I'm such a chronicler. So I love capturing those moments on video. Like sometimes I go back and I see old videos with the kids and I, I love it and they, they'll watch them too and enjoy it. I bet you guys just must have the best family home videos because you're so good at capturing those moments throughout. So as we wrap up, and as you mentioned, having this running Google Doc of ultimate grand supreme long-term goals, what does the future hold for Lauren Lease? You know, I don't quite know. I, I hope though that it includes getting to like hit some of those dreams that, that Dave and I both kind of have in mind, but also working less hours per week. I think that's kind of one of my goals right now. Um, just like waking up happy every day and maintaining that all day long, not being affected by any of the ups or downs that work may have and, and working less hours. I don't know if that's what's in store, but that's what I hope is in store. <laughs> I love that. I am manifesting that for you. I feel <laughs> like you. we all can relate to that. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today on the Interior Collective. It was such an immense pleasure. And I feel like anytime I get to chat with you, the rest of my day's trajectory is on an uphill um, oh, joy. You. you just are so <laughs> pleasant to spend time with. And I'm so grateful for your friendship. Well, same to you. And I'm so honored that you included me in your amazing roundup of people. Well, it's going to be a wild ride this season. So I'm glad I'm we so got you in. Thank you so much. And I'm sure we will talk very soon. Okay. Big hug. Talk soon. There is so much in the pipeline for Lauren Lease, and we are so excited we get to experience it. You can follow along with Lauren at Lauren Lease on Instagram and shop her beautifully curated signature finds at Lauren Lease and Co. If you're listening on the go and missed a detail of this episode, you can find all the links, projects, and images we referenced and other details from the episode of the Interior Collective on our website at idco.studio forward slash podcast. 
We are in the first season and trying things out. So please, please, if you love this podcast, leave us a review. It makes a big difference in our decision to release the next season. If we have questions or topics you'd like to hear next season, email me at podcast at idco.studio. Again, that is podcast at idco.studio.